Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Quincy on the Law. My name is Quincy and this is another episode of Quincy on the Law. First and foremost, apologies. It has been quite long since I did a podcast. I've been very busy engaged in hearing after hearing. But today I present to you a topic known as the language of the law. What is the language of the law? What is the language of judicial judgments? It is written in the good book that for by your words you will be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned. Now, following the decision of the Supreme Court of Kenya in the presidential petitions of 2022, there have been numerous criticisms about the language used by the court in their abridged version of the judgment. The complaints express that the choice of words used by the court was unnecessarily harsh and punitive. It was not as assuaging as it should be in a highly contested petition. Now, the supporters of the petitioners aver that the language of the court is not reflective of that which should be used by a neutral arbiter in in an adversarial system. I have noted that even though the Kenyan jurisdiction is founded upon an adversarial system of dispute resolution, the Supreme Court seems to have aspects of an inquisitorial system. This is evidenced by the fact that the registrar of the court analyzed the evidence presented by the parties and prepared a report as to the scrutiny of the server system and an inspection of sample election materials. It thereafter asked parties to comment on the report. It is not in doubt that the details of the report favoured the facts as presented by the respondents. Now, in social sciences, language is treated as a medium of social action and as a topic of investigation rather than merely a vehicle of communication and a resource to be used in carrying out research. Before we censure the Supreme Court, we ought to interrogate what is the language through which our legal system operates What is the language of our law? And more specifically, what is the language of Kenyan law? In Ceylon, uh, now in in Sri Lanka, formerly Ceylon, there was once a law known as the Language of the Courts Bill, which empowered the minister to order that the national language be used in court while conducting business. The bill, however, did not further prescribe what phrases, tone, words, color of language, diction that the court ought to use. Lord Denning stated in 1977 that to succeed in the profession of law, you must seek to cultivate command of the language. Words, ultimately, are the lawyer's tools of trade. Some of the words employed by the Supreme Court that have evoked harsh criticisms are as follows. Uh, the Supreme Court referred to evidence presented as nothing but hot air. It stated that the petitioners took the court on a wild goose chase that amounted to nothing. And many more, but that was the tone of the specific words that the petitioners are angry about. It is not hard to see that the words employed by the court do not constitute judicial misconduct. Judicial misconduct breaks down the very fibre of what is necessary for the function of the judiciary and that is for the citizens to believe that their judges are fair and impartial. It is not in contest that the judiciary cannot function without the trust and confidence of the people. Judges must therefore be accountable for their behaviour. 
The Code of Judicial Conduct calls upon judges to utilize general language that preserves the integrity of the judiciary and prevents the appearance of impropriety. John Frank Porter of the Lee County Circuit Court, while sentencing an accused person to life for the murder of his father, stated that, This is without any, and I quote, This is without any doubt the most gruesome murder of my career. It is my intent that you never see the sunrise, the sunset, or take a breath outside the walls of prison. End quote. This seems to have been outrightly harsh, punitive, and unnecessary. Now, in a 500-page dissent elsewhere in India, in a 500-page dissent, Indian Supreme Court Justice, Justice D.Y. Chandrachud, termed a bill as a constitutional fraud being committed on the Constitution. The law minister criticized the judge and argued that the Supreme Court should avoid the use of harsh words. It has also been expressed that the language employed by the court is not befitting of the demeanor attributable to the most superior court of record in Kenya. This draws a link between judicial language and legitimacy. Legitimacy as a concept is the entitlement of a public authority to be obeyed. There are two prongs to this. Legal positivists argue that the legitimacy of judicial authority is sufficiently established by the constitution. The second prong dictates that the legitimacy of the court derives from the employment of elements of procedural fairness which shape people's feelings of responsibility and obligation to obey the rules and accept decisions of the court. The author argues that a proposed, I argue that a proposition of the phrases used by the respondents were outrightly demeaning, dismissive and harsh, as opposed to the court. It was also clear beyond contest that the replying affidavit, sown by the president-elect, evoked feelings amongst the petitioners due to the dismissive language employed. Truth be told, once any court, once any court finds a party in breach of an essential procedural rule, it usually rebukes and reprimands the party. In my experience, there are firm and sometimes harsh judicial officers that sit in all levels of the court system. They can be found at the small claims court, to the court of appeal. Do we demand that they be assuaging and kind? Not necessarily. We only demand that they be guided by the law in their, by the law in their decisions. Based on the breach of practice rules, the court issued the Supreme Court issued a citation against two advocates and recommended disciplinary action against them by the requisite bodies. Could the court have been kinder? Maybe so. Maybe so. They even stated that though it is elementary learning, but was the breach apparent? The breach was apparent. Now, the crooks of this episode is that the language of the court should be a hybrid between formal, kind, resolute, and firm, as opposed to being unnecessarily harsh or dismissive. On the flip side, a court cannot also be susceptible to the views of counsel, who may, who may at times take a great deal of time to converse their various issues, the various issues. The court, in its pronouncements, cannot factor in the feelings of the losing party. The presidential petition is determined at breakneck speed. Owing to this, all pleadings must be prepared to perfection 
and reviewed by a senior counsel prior to filing. <coughs> Honorable Gerald Lebovitz, in a speech in 2009, asserted that judgment writing is the hardest of the legal arts to master in the entire common law world. It requires a mastery of legal method and pure writing skills, not merely wisdom, learning, good temperament, common sense, devotion to duty, and hard work. You see, all judges have a writing style, whether they know it or not. Lord Denning, who is widely recognized for his catchy, attention-grabbing judgments, is a good example. Back home, according to retired Justice Lee Muroga, a judgment is about telling the losing party why it lost. It is best to approach it by explaining its position because it is the party most interested to know why it did not win and also most likely to appeal or seek a review. The winning party sometimes would care less how it won. Uh, the judge recommends that one should state the position of the losing party and then state the flaw in the losing party's position and then state the conclusion. The losing parties in this case are extremely aggrieved by not only the loss, but the language employed by the court in evaluating their evidence and dismissing their case. I contend that the judgment may have been resolute and firm, but was not unnecessarily harsh. And this is a controversial position to take as a junior lawyer. <laughs> now, the Superior Court of Record merely restated points of law and procedural practice which may have been breached by the parties. In instances where the language employed by a court may be interpreted as judicial misconduct, then there are constitutional avenues that can be invoked to pronounce themselves on the issue. But for now, I will conclude at that point. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this is Quincy and this is Quincy on the law. Please subscribe for more.